IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast where we talk to leaders who are innovating in new and different ways, but also towards a higher purpose and a more conscious leadership style. Kirsten, we've just enjoyed talking so much to these leaders literally around the world and how they're building their companies in a mindful way. Yeah, we've had some fantastic leaders, visionaries, thought leaders. It's been really inspiring to listen to what's being innovated, especially during the COVID-19, right? People have really used this time well to create and craft what they want to vision in the future. And it's pretty exciting. A lot of stuff launching. Yes. Well, and you've been having a chance to extend some of these conversations into some uh, soul tea programs that you've been having on many Fridays, uh, Friday mornings. Uh, Tell us about how some of those conversations have been evolving. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I have um, a very diverse group of clients who have been high-performing elite performers in many different disciplines at ranging different ages. I do love the young professionals. I have a, a you know a propensity to work with them the most. Um, that being said, they really are wanting to work in community and to collaborate and have people who are able to have deeper conversations just beyond the mundane business. They want to go deeper. They want to understand people. They want to effectuate change in a meaningful way and also have a purpose for themselves. So we have this soul tea and conversation every other Friday that brings community and voice together and enables you know, communities to come together. I also have what I call master soul groups for the young professionals and a lot of people aging out. And when I say aging out, we're leaving at like 45, <laughs> right? The corporate world, we're done, <laughs> we're done, we're out. So people who want to shift the direction they've been going because of the way corporate has been today. You know, we know my story. We've heard it as a CFO, you know, in technology companies. I, and I'm excited because today we're going to speak to somebody who has a background in these areas. So I would love to hear his perspective. Yeah, it's going to be terrific. Well, just before we get into that then, Kirsten, how do we connect with you in those programs to yeah, register? Yeah. So the best way to connect with the Solti is in um, the company that I'm the CEO of, Pure Intellikey, www.pureintellikey.com. And when you register, you'll get the details and as well as the information to join us for tea and conversation. Well, we're looking forward to today's conversation. As you said, Kirsten, our guest is Matt Rosenthal. Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. And wow, is that some, those some cool things that you were just saying? And, and I jotted some key words down, Kirsten, that were really cool. Good, uh, good. Really, Can't wait really to hear what- with me. Yeah, yeah, can't wait to hear your thoughts. Matt is the CEO of a company called MindCore Technology Services in Florida, and it's good to bring a little sunshine to our program and our world today, Matt. Tell us about the journey that brought you to starting this company and some of the, I guess, values and culture you were hoping to build. Yeah, so just real quick, we're actually based in, uh, in Fairfield, New Jersey. Oh, very and good. I'm, I'm in Florida. So we okay. have another office that we opened up in Florida, uh, Delray Beach, Southeast Florida. And we're really working to expand out here. But 
um, it, it's been a really cool journey. And uh, Kirsten, just some of the words real quick that tie into that question that, that you said, higher purpose resonates with me. Um, I got to sense you were talking about value driven yes. and, and soulful. Like those, those are all part of my journey. And those are all things that, that came, um, came along the way. And um, we don't have the 10 hours we need for me to talk about my journey. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, I'll take you back real quick. I grew up in a, a unusual circumstance. Um, my father passed away when I was 12 and I grew up in a, a sort of um, lower middle class or even kind of poor upbringing, you know, even, even prior to that. So my view of the world and my view of, of money and finances and feelings and emotions they really are rooted in like a very, frankly, dysfunctional, like troubled upbringing, so to speak, um, which I find, by the way, is common with a lot of successful entrepreneurs, um, because the outcome of that at times, not always, but from the people that I know that have really become successful, who are driven, who um, have this, this hard work, this, this work ethic with grit and um, this, this kind of get it done mentality. Most of the people I know came from similar, some sort of dysfunctional, traumatic childhood that caused them to really have to find themselves along the way. So that's what happened to me. I, I had to find myself along the way. And, you know, like going from being 12 years old to being at 48 now, it was only when I got into my late 40s that I really figured it out, so to speak, and figured out what's important in life and how important soul is and how important, you know, joy and happiness and passion in life are far more important than everything else. Uh, money is nonsense. It makes it, it certainly makes life more enjoyable and fun. But so my journey into technology started back in 1998, 99, took the, the typical um, corporate path, climbed the ladder through corporate America, ended up being IT director in a publicly traded like $2 billion company. I had like 35 people working for me. I did that whole thing. And what that did was it gave me a perspective of big business and how to think process and how to think workflow and how to think, you know, how to have that picture of, of how to run projects and how to get things done and make people happy. Uh, but then, but along the way, I always felt caged in. I didn't really feel like I, I should have been in that, I don't know, in that, that lifestyle, so to speak, you know, getting up, leaving five o'clock in the morning to go to New York City and getting home, you know, seven o'clock at night and then squeezing in a quick gym workout and doing it again. I did that for 10 years. So along the way, I discovered that I had an entrepreneurial side that I had no idea that I had. However, if I was paying attention, I would have known since I was about five that I had it because I've always had a tremendous amount of creativity, ideas. Uh, I just never really thought about it. And, and, but I was always, always like seeing things nobody else saw, especially ways to make money, ways to be productive, ways to get things done. So um, I'm kind of bouncing around, but my journey was like, you know, traumatic childhood, figure out along the way how to survive, how to go to college, how to make it through, how to get into business, how to get a job. And um, wow, like probably thousands of mistakes, which I think is what gives me what I call wisdom now. I've made thousands of mistakes, yeah. learned from all, every all one of them. All that's the education, right? I, yep, I'm curious, from- Matt, when you said, you know, you had this sense that you had the entrepreneurial bug, you know, that you had that in you. When did, did the switch just come on? I know for many people, including myself, you say one day, I think I'll start a company and you have no idea what that means. And you just sort of, like you said, learn along the way. But I'm curious for you how it felt to put out the shingle. I fell into it. I didn't put a shingle out. Right. So when I was like 
nine, 10 years old, I remember walking around the garden apartments where I lived and selling, I would blow up balloons and then go knock on doors and sell them for five cents and people would buy them. Like back when you could do that, when you could you know, knock on doors and not be worried. Um, and I always, it was, if it wasn't one thing, it was another. And I don't know why, but I always just felt like I had ideas and I wanted to make money and I would always think things up. So as far as like hanging out the shingle, when you're in IT and I was, I was an engineer and I was very technical, but um, that didn't come easy. I had to work at that. The somewhere along the way, people began asking me, Hey, can you help me out with this or help me out with that? So I started doing side work for people back when it wasn't cool to have a side gig. Like you could get in trouble for it at work. Yeah, yeah, that was in the class. <laughs> I ultimately did. <laughs> so that was what happened. I started doing a bunch of side work for people and it began to like to build up. Um, I didn't have a business. People were just writing checks. And I actually ended up getting through my um, that, that full-time job I was telling you about in the city. I had a manager who one day said to me, who I was more technical then. And he said, look, I have a customer. I need to set up a new network. Can you come out on a weekend and help me? And it happened to be perfect. It was 10 minutes from my house in Jersey. And I went and built an entire network for his customer. Long story short, they ended up not liking him as much. And they asked me if I would give them uh, 10 hours a month for $1,000 a month to be their IT guy. And it was okay that I only helped them on the weekends. That's how it started. And uh, after a couple of years of doing that, the owner of that company, who now is like family to me. I mean, my, my kids call them aunt and uncle. To this day, they're still they're like, they're very close. That She said to me, look, I can't pay you anymore out of my personal checking account. I, I need to um, write you checks. Like, do you, you have a business? I'm like, what's a business? And that was, I mean, so she told me how to form an LLC. And my accountant at the time taught me how to use QuickBooks. I mean, I literally didn't know anything about how to be in business. I picked it up very, very quickly. And once I saw that I could get this thing running, I started getting more and more side business because I was putting myself out there more. So ultimately it ended up that I was, um, I was making three times as much from my side business as I was from my full-time job in the city. And I saved all the money. I never spent any of it. So I was building up a, a bank account with, so I never even had to invest in the business. Well, what happened was that uh, job in the city, at one point they discovered I had a side business, asked me about it, confronted me about it. And, um, I resigned from the job. I mean, it was a lot that happened in between, but I resigned from that job. And that was the beginning of my journey as an entrepreneur, which I still didn't know I was. I didn't have to go through what a lot of people have to go through, which, which is starting something up. I happened to have a really smooth transition. I was nervous. I was scared as hell, but I, I had a transition because I, I had $400,000 a year coming in from a side business. I was making 70 at my full-time job. This was back in 2006, I think. So, uh, I just ran with it at that point. I had a few more stops and maybe you'll ask me about it, but I, I, um, at that point I was like, I'm never going back to work for anybody. Yeah, that's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. Once you know that you don't have to work for anybody anymore, you never want to do it again. Right. I, I mean, I even have 24 and 25 year old daughters, maybe 25, 26, I think we're coming up on. They won't work for anybody. They just can't do it. They're just not meant to. And if they do, they have to have full autonomy. They have to lead whatever they're doing because it's been, they've just watched. It's not, it doesn't really work when you have somebody driving you down all the time. I, I have a question for you because having been in technology and telecommunications most of my career as well, even though I'm a psychic medium and shamanic practitioner as well. So I have these dualities. Tell our audience how creativity and IT linked together, because I think people would be very surprised to understand how creative you have to be in infrastructure to really <laughs> actually deploy really well 
really good programs. I've done like 30 podcasts and it's a question I've never been asked before. <laughs> and it's probably like one of the best questions that somebody could ask me. That's a really cool question. So creativity, when I talk to my kids about what's important, I don't focus so much on their, their formal education. Of course, they have to have it. I tell them the most important thing is to, is to be a creative thinker. And in order to be a creative thinker, you have to have an open mind and be able to clear your mind and be able to let thoughts come into your mind. Um, and so that certainly helps me in business. And it was part of my journey. I mean, I meditate every morning at five o'clock before the sun comes up and anybody else comes up. And I can tell you that ideas flow into my mind when I'm doing that. And it's not what I want to be happening. So sometimes I have to stop and write them down, but it's, it defeats the purpose of meditating. But when you're able to be in business and be in IT, you're, all I do is solve people's problems. All that's, that's what the entire job is. It's, um, I mean, you know, we're, we're delivering solutions and we're delivering strategies, but I have to be able to really understand what somebody's problems are and think way outside the box and see what nobody else is seeing and offer solutions that are not just like, oh, okay, you need this. No, it's, you want your company to do X, Y, and Z, and you want your employees to have this experience. I have to think about how to create that. Um, and then when I come up with the ideas and the solutions, yeah, I mean, we're just, I call it applied technology. We take stuff that's already been invented and we apply it, but the idea has to come first. That's right. In in having been, you know, worked with many innovators in technology, it really is truly a massive think tank. That's what they're doing all day. You know, they have, it really does look like those glass boards these days where they're (laughs) writing on the glass with all these equations planning out. But, you know, when you think of IT, I, you know, we think some people might think of IBM machines or just big clunky things. It's no longer that, right? It is really, how are you going to create solutions that people can grow into and have scalability and ease and, you know, the ability to also not just deploy software solutions that are going to be antiquated pretty, you know, in a short period of time. Do they have the ability to upgrade? There's a lot that goes into that creative process. So it's fascinating. And I love that you tied meditation to that, right? I mean, I don't think of IT people and meditation in the same category, unless they live in New York City and everybody goes to yoga. Like that's the thing. You know what? I'm not an IT guy. I, 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 I'm a, I mean, I am, but that's not really what I am. I'm, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person. I don't mean religion either. I'm a very spiritual person and I, I, I'm a strategist. I, 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 I'm a risk analyst. I mean, this is all, it's all IT. I, I, I analyze and manage risk for people inside this like idea of, okay, you have business goals, one, three, five, 10 years, whatever. It's such a broad perspective you have to have. Budget, planning, project management, process, workflows. I see it all because I've done it all. And that's not common in this in my business. So when I say I'm not an IT guy, I'm a business and IT strategist. That's what I really am. And we deliver IT solutions and we solve IT problems. I've had people compensate me to come into their business and reverse engineer all their workflows and tell them how to do things better, smarter, more efficiently. And it never fails because not, it's not a common skill set. And let me tie it back to something. I learned <laughs> from therapy uh, that the, as a child, having that background that I talked to you about, one of the ways that children try to control things when they feel like things are out of control is to become very organized and orderly and type A. 
So I've, I'm a very, very organized, detail-oriented. If you took, if you move this pen that's on my desk two inches, I would notice it. It's, it's a dis- function that actually is very powerful in business because I don't miss anything. I, I don't miss anything. Um, I'll tell you the flip side, negative side to that. That's very nerve-wracking. It causes a lot of noise in your head, and that's where the meditation comes in. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, and we've been talking about this sort of soul-filled and spiritual individual practices on your part. How do you infuse and cultivate that within your team and make sure that everybody is feeling fulfilled and, and purpose? I spend more time on that than I do on anything else with them. Um, I saw something many years ago at a chiropractor's office that I used to go to in New Jersey, and I've never forgotten it, and I, I teach it. And by the way, what I really try to do and what my podcast is going to be, it's, it's about inspiration and education. So I spend a lot of time coaching and teaching the people my, that work in my company. So this thing, um, it was an image. I hope I get it right. At the very top, it shows the word beliefs. Beliefs then goes to an arrow, which creates thoughts. Your thoughts create your emotions and your emotions create the outcomes, how you act and how you and, and, and what happens. And I'm very aware of that. So I spend a lot of time working with everybody. Number one, to work in my company, we do have to share the same belief system, that mastermind energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk with them frequently about resistance versus flow. We, we, we have to be in a state of flow. And anytime there's a state of resistance, we can feel it uh, energetically. It doesn't feel good. And I still, we stop and we're like, okay, it's usually me stopping everybody because I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that's tuned into this more than anybody else. But we stop and we talk about what's, what's going on. So this morning, I'll tell you something, uh, my, my assistant and one of my sales guys, I had them on the phone at 7.30 this morning. I sent them a text. I was feeling some resistance with certain things, not moving fast enough. I got them on the phone and I said, listen, I know that I'm, it's not easy to keep up with me. I know that I move at a pace that I don't expect everybody else to move at but I'm feeling that we're not in a flow state. We're in a resistance state. And I explained to them why. And I explained to them that I'm happy to coach them and share with them how they can make lists and how they can use tools and techniques to, to help them think differently. But it starts with a belief. And the belief is that we're all on this ship going the same direction. You know, there's one wind blowing this ship um, and we're on it for a reason. And, and I always bring it back to that with people. And it does get everybody's mindset back to a state of oneness. I do that every day almost. It's a, I spend more time coaching and giving therapy to everybody in my company than anything else. <laughs> That's my job. Yeah. And it, it really, that it's beautiful. I didn't expect this conversation today. I, it's funny. You get jaded, right? I'm like, IT, I, I didn't see the spiritual side coming in. I love it. This is my it's happy not, it's place. It's not common. It's not. Yeah, it's not. This is my happy place. But I, I want to go back to your sharing about that hard childhood, right? Because <clears throat> sure. really it, some people don't have that experience, but when you do, people who have the hard childhoods, right, you're really at a complete disadvantage because what, you know, th- what they don't tell people is that when you have low income, you don't have access to healthy foods, when you have trauma coming at you, your brain processing cannot function as well, right? It actually stops the way the brain works. So when you're starting to move up to your point, you have to find alternative solutions just to survive, right? Really just sometimes for some, in my case, at times it was just to eat, right? I had to start working very young to be able to put food on my table for myself. So I relate to what you're saying. And I love that you're sharing this for the audience because it is really taboo to talk about it in corporate America. 
right? To really bring that real raw, what really happened to us into the situations. Yeah. And, you know, what, one of the things I'm working on a lot right now is group dynamics. All of this plays out in group dynamics, which then impacts how flow, that flow and resistance occurs. What are you finding with the longevity in the response from your employees? And is there an open dialogue to speak to where they've been? Because to your point, that frames beliefs, right? And sometimes there's unseen noises in the background of somebody's psyche that presents all, itself all in group dynamic, right? Always. There, there, there's always, um, that's always at play. And I'm actually not sure I, I got the question. Ask me the question again. So the question is how, <laughs> I mean, everything that you're bringing to the table, you're bringing your own personal experience, yeah. you're bringing the authenticity, you're yeah. bringing an open forum, you're bringing spirituality, right? And tools to help heal. And you're working with group dynamics to create flow, right? What are exactly. you finding in the workplace as in terms of longevity, in terms of profits, in terms of growth? Are you seeing a difference? You come from both worlds, right? You come from that corporate world that probably didn't do it that way. And then how you're cultivating. Oh, yeah. You know, what's interesting over the years, I've had this is this was an awareness I had, and I had the um, the fortitude and discipline to stick it out. Over the years, I decided about five years ago that anybody who worked um, in my company, and um, I call it my work family, who worked in that in that work family, had to be of a similar or shared belief system as, as me. Because at the end of the day, I, uh, the company is essentially my my vision, and everybody who's involved in it, it really has to be connected to that vision and the feeling. Of what it likes to what it's like to be working with me. I knew that anybody who didn't resonate with that wasn't at that wavelength. Like let's say I'm I'm at a wavelength of joy, happiness, laughter, you know, and, and all those feelings, the, the energy that comes out of that. But I had somebody else who might be vibrating in anger, fear, and worry. Ultimately, they've all left the company because it didn't because it didn't uh, it, it didn't it didn't feel good for them. I'll take it to an extreme. I had a, um, a business partner who ultimately, I had three partners at one point because I've done three mergers, acquisitions over the years. That's how I really grew the company. And the first one, it turned out, really could, could not get comfortable with the fact that I was the CEO, I was the leader of the company, never wanted to follow me. And it was nothing but resistance. It was the worst thing ever. I knew, I came to a conclusion at a certain point that, I was going to stay true to, to what my vision was, true to the reason that we did our whole merger to begin with and continue to build and drive the company forward. And if he wasn't comfortable at a certain point, he'd be so uncomfortable, he would just leave. And that's actually what happened because I stuck it out. And that's what happens in you know the sociology of, um, of groups, I guess, behavior of groups. When some, somebody doesn't feel like they belong, they tend to leave on their own. You don't have to really do much. As long as you stay true to to what you want the vibe to be. So for me, I, I, I want the vibe to be something very specific. We're very, very customer-centered, like, like customer-focused, very focused on personal improvement. Very, I buy books for everybody every so often. I'm like, here, everybody, read these books, read these books, because it excites me and it inspires me. People that are still with us, that are who the company is now, they're all there because they like the way this feels. Um, so I'll give you an example of, of something we do every Friday morning. We have a Friday meeting every morning. You guys are welcome to join if you ever want to. I'll send you a link. We all get on here now. And we do this. Every Friday after we get through the business of the meeting, which is like a half hour, somebody has to speak 
about something that they're passionate about and it doesn't matter what it is. And um, we do that because it usually ends up being that, like we had one guy one time that, uh, that talked about, uh, he's into fish tanks. So he talked about the ecosystems and what it's like to put it together. And he actually tied that back to how important it is that everything in our ecosystem and the company works together and everybody works as a team and everybody does their part. Because if one person is not doing their part, the whole thing doesn't work just like his fish tank. So these are the types of things when we're all in that same mindset that conversations that happen. Um, in the middle of the day, if I feel like I'm talking to somebody, which happens a lot, and I'm, I can sense that there's um, maybe they're overwhelmed or something. And I wrote this down when you were talking before. I have one guy, one person in the company that I know had some things also as a child. And oftentimes when I say something, the person gets very defensive like I'm blaming them. I know right away that it's not about what I'm saying because I realize what I'm saying isn't blaming at all. And not too long ago, I had a conversation and I just gently pulled back the layers and, and I discovered what I thought was going on. There's a, I'm not good enough belief underneath everything. So whenever I get some constructive criticism, it's taken as something's wrong and it's defensive. And when I shared with this person that I think it's that you really underneath it all feel like you're not good enough and I want you to know that you are good enough and that you're very valuable. And, and, and I went through all the things that are so great. Um, the entire energy of this person changed and it lasted for weeks. I mean, the person was different for weeks because I know underneath it all, everything is about you is either it's a little, it's a little child that's afraid or that's insecure or that has the feelings of I'm not good enough. And we're all just big children. Right. So, and I, I understand that and I'm sensitive to it. So I apply that to my company. I have weak moments where, you know, I, I get, uh, I'll, I'll get upset about something or I'll lose my temper about something. We're all human. But for the most part, I spend a lot of time listening to understand. And when I can, which is most of the time, I spend a lot of time talking about you know, making money. I spend a lot of time teaching the people in my company, whether they are, want it or not, about how important it is to listen to understand and to have compassion and to try to connect with the other person's feelings rather than their words. And yes, I could be more profitable if we didn't spend so much time doing that because time is money. So when I spend two hours giving somebody an inspirational pep talk about belief and outcomes, that person could be billing for two hours, but I'd rather that they're not billing. I'd rather that they're, um, that they're evolving as a person. Yeah, this can't that's be, about, to be in my company. It can't be about the timesheet at this point. <laughs> yeah. we, we're profitable enough that, that I can take the time to do that. And it happens every day. I mean, I'm not kidding you. It's one person or another. It happens every single day. Now, I, if I got big enough, I don't know that, that I could do that with everybody, but that's still the, um, when I hire people, I give uh, disc assessments, you know, behavior assessments and personality assessments. I won't hire anybody in our company who I even have any inkling is, um, isn't going to fit. And those mm. things have been right on when I've gone against them and I've gone against my own gut feeling, which is nothing more than my brain and all my experience telling my stomach, give this guy a, a nudge. Listen to listen to your to what you what your what you you know mind is telling you, which is basically the universal energy telling me don't hire this guy. I've always been wrong when I go against that gut feeling. Mm -hmm. So that my company today represents pretty much uh, it's like a mirror of my my own beliefs. And the people that weren't there, they've come there over time because they want to be there, and they like the inspirational, educational, like spiritual conversations we have. Mm -hmm. 
And I All have right, to imagine answer. you you did. And I want to dive into the profitability a little bit deeper, right? Because this is an area that even I'm exploring, right? Because I'm really um, passionate about dismantling the patriarchal, the, the hierarchy of the way corporations have been run in really putting the power back, empowering people, right? To thrive. And, and I, to your point where you're speaking to, I have to imagine over time, if you have employees that are sticking, that have longevity, and you're not having to retrain them and reintroduce people, right? It costs a lot of money to hire, oh, yeah. fire, you know, that turn of headcount. Do you believe that long-term it really will benefit the bottom line because you do have that longevity and that stickiness and also those who are pushed to go deeper in their own creativity and innovation, right? I mean, if you have a forum yeah. where you talk about your passions every week, yeah. you're going to have innovation and coming out of that. We do. We're doing some pretty cool stuff. Um, first, I want to say, I personally believe you can only empower empowerable people. Not everybody mm. is empowerable. And as you said that, I just made that up. I mean, you can't, I can, I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make a drink. So if I have somebody who I want to, if I want to empower my employees, which I do, they have to be empowerable, which means they have to be accountable and they have to have responsibility and ownership. And we hire for that. So if I try to empower people and say, okay, here's all these things I'm going to do and you're all empowered and they're the wrong people, I'm going to crash and burn the company. Great point. So it's important for me that I have empowerable people, which goes back to, I weeded, I weeded them all out. Is that the word? They've all been uh, eliminated over Vetted. the years. Yeah. Vetted. <laughs> They've all been eliminated over the years, mostly on their own. The other part is your question about profitability. Ask me that second part again. Sorry. So it just uh, theoretically, it would stand to reason if you have longevity, the right team, right? This, this mix, this magical mix yeah. that you're talking about creating, they, they have longevity, you're talking to passion and purpose, you're bringing in the spirituality. You have dedicated employees and the right employees. I'm assuming over time, you have a higher propensity for profitability than you would otherwise, even though yeah. some yeah. would say, you know, that driver, you know, using your disc assessment, the driver is the one who's going to get to the mountaintop. That's not always yeah. the case, right? Yeah. We're feeling it now, actually. It's kind of cool because we have such a good group and it's been so many years of all of this. Um, and we, just recently, believe me, after years and years and years, finally like cleared out that last little bit of negative energy, you know, where the one person had their foot hanging off the back of the bus, slowing the bus down. We just had the last person um, about six months ago leave. It was with us for five or six years. And it was like the sky opened up. A wonderful person, by the way, but didn't flow with our, our the level that we operate at. So we are um, we are poised to really take off right now because it's a combination of things, timing in the market, we're innovating heavily. We're doing some things with, you know, with products that exist that are, um, aren't being done by other people, which is awesome for businesses. Because I have a team of people that are so like tight knit and that they'll just go get it done. And they, they can have like heated um, creative debates, which always result in innovation. We have that and it happens. And, we encourage like people to just stop and ha and debate. Like we encourage debate because, like I said, out of debate comes creativity and innovation. 
And because of that, it's interesting. Last year, in the middle of what people were saying was the worst year ever for a lot of people, and it was for a lot of reasons, we had one of the best years we ever had during COVID. And we're on track to exceed that already this year if things keep going the way they're going because of all of these things that we're talking about combined. They're all starting to fire on all cylinders now. Um, but it took me six years of discipline and commitment to my own beliefs, again, to, get to, to eliminate partners that were de dead weight, that were, were um, not in flow, to eliminate employees that weren't in flow, and to finally, about a year ago, get to a place where I had the team that I need that resonates with me, that can, that can really, we can, we can go some serious places and we're about to, like there's things happening now that are like, whoa, like I couldn't have done it two or three years ago because I had too much resistance. It's not easy. I mean, I, I don't know, actually, I know a lot of business owners, I know a lot. And um, it's the ones who are, I'm talking financially, who are financially really successful are the ones that are able to pivot, make decisions and drive them hard. And even if they're wrong, but pivot quickly if it's the wrong decision and but to have the persistence and the perseverance to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and be action oriented with the ideas and with the creativity i mean you know it's great to have creative ideas but ideas are just dreams unless you actually do something that's so true so, so true i love these so, stories and i wanted to remind our listeners our, our guest is matt rosenthal his company is mindcore technology services but even more matt you've got a podcast coming up and i just want to be sure people know how to connect with you and follow your work well the so the best way to connect with me right now is to hit me on linkedin if you just search for my name and and, uh, and the company i come right up instagram i do a lot a lot of videos on youtube if you just type in my name and the company um, all the things we're talking about there's two to five minute i mean it must be 100 150 videos on there by now i don't know we have a lot of content and it's all, it's not really about IT. It's, yeah. it's all about the other stuff, uh, which is what I enjoy talking about. The podcast is called Digging In. Just came up with a name a few weeks ago. It took me three months to figure out a name that actually made sense. And I'm like, wait, I always say, come on, let's dig in. Let's dig into this and let's, let's, let's figure this out. Let's dive in deeper. So it's called Digging In. And um, that's going to be, I'm going to have 26 guests on up front. We have 26 episodes lined up, really cool topics. Um, we're going to inspire, we're going to educate, we're going to talk about life, lifestyle, um, health, talk about fitness, but everything is wrapped around that and business. And it's going to be all people that are self-made. Nobody, nobody I'm going to have on is going to be anybody who has handed anything. It's all people who have had their own struggle, who are self-made and are successful in one way or the other. So that's what the podcast is going to be. I wish I could tell you more, but there's nothing. It's not. It's not created yet. Well, We're about three or four weeks away. Yeah. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes on how uh, folks can get connected with it. It's going to be fun. That's going to be yeah. a great podcast. Well, I've loved the conversation about the leadership qualities that you bring to the company. I love talking about the employees and how they respond and how the team is built. I want to look externally. How are the clients attracted? to a company that has the kind of mission and purpose and service orientation and heart-filled passion that yours does. Do you mean, I mean, literally, how do we get clients? And, and I guess or... I don't mean process-wise, how do you get clients? I guess I'm saying from the outside end, we've been talking about the inside. Why do they choose that's, us? That's I mean. great. But do the clients feel this pulse? Yeah, yeah. They feel, you know, and do they feel the difference and tell you, you know, yeah. your team has a different pulse than yeah. other people I might've worked with. They do actually. So my business could be probably double the size if I took just anybody off the street as a customer. 
it's the same thing with our customers as it is with our employees. We aren't right for everybody. And, and, and so in order to work with us, there is a vibe, there's a feeling that the customer has to also um, resonate with us. We don't work with customers if there's a feeling of resistance, if they don't value their IT, if they don't look at it as, a, as an investment, if they don't look at it as like as important as um, the relationships they have with their own clients, your IT investment is probably one of the most important things you could do. So we don't really tend to get along well with people that, that don't have that belief. We can that that gets that gets vetted out like in the first one or two conversations we have with somebody. Well, we just kind of nicely will say maybe we're not the right fit for you. Conversely, to your real question, people that want accountability, ownership, clarity, strategy, like um, you know, they can feel that from our conversations. We talk about these things. We ask questions that I don't think most other IT companies ask. I mean, we're not the only ones, but well-run businesses like ours. Ask, ask similar questions, but in IT, in our business, it's in the minority because most IT companies are run by technicians who started companies who never really figured out the relationship part of it, the business part of it. It's not a knock on the industry. It's just the truth. So um, we aren't the cheapest around so, and we don't just take anybody. So people that choose to work with us, they really want what we have to offer and they really want to feel like they're really being taken care of and that they, that we, I mean, we do, we, we, if somebody's unhappy, we feel pain. Like I, I, my stomach hurts. I get a heavy. If we can't have unhappy customers, and we go to all ends of the earth, there's no clock on the wall. There's no Saturdays and Sundays. We do whatever it takes because that's what we believe we should be doing. We're here to deliver a service that improves people's lives, and, and that's really what it comes down to. So, but not everybody wants that. Some people just want the cheapest person, and so they'll deliver the service differently. We can't give this type of commitment and level of service at a Walmart price. Mm-hmm. We, we, we could be double the size if we lowered our prices and took anybody uh, and didn't care how they actually valued their own IT. But we do care. So and so you can feel it in the conversations. A lot of people pass on us. They're, they don't want to work with us because, because we would hold them to accountable. One of my jobs yes. is, is with all of our customers is to hold the customer accountable to make good IT decisions. I'm not going to argue with them. They, they need to hold... So I'm going to, you know, professionally and nicely hold them accountable and give them advice and guidance. If they don't take enough of it, then it's like, what do they need me for? You know, it's funny when you're talking, I'm thinking of all the consultants that I've hired over the years in these companies that I was a part of, and the company just could not deliver on what these consultants needed to finish projects. And so they never got finished. Thousands so of dollars went out the so door. Common. It's so we common. We see that all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. You know, some companies don't know how to finish a project. They actually culturally don't know how to take a project over the finish line. I've seen it. It's so common. Yeah, yeah. And it's the, so common. These things that really have no finish line. It's like, I don't know what done looks like. It doesn't help. Oh, it, I, I see that all the time too. When we do projects for people, one of the things we do is, is a kickoff with the customer, no matter how big or how small the project is, confirming expectations, confirming communication planning, and confirming what the end looks like mm-hmm. and that there will be a project closeout and client acceptance. <laughs> and it's based on a statement of work that we all agreed to. Right. Yeah. Novel. Novel. There's an idea. <laughs> that comes from my, my, my $2 billion, uh, my experience in that big company. Like they turned, they, they taught me how to manage projects it, 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 like really, really well. It's, it was great. Yeah, I love it. Do Matt, you have to know real quick. Sorry, Mark. Uh, what yeah, is your disc profile? 
Just curious. I know what Mark's is. I know what mine is. It changed. I haven't had it done in a couple of years. When I had mine done, it was six years ago. If we have two minutes, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, done, I would love it. I would love to know. I had it done six years ago because that first partner that I had, I told you about, we didn't get along from day one. So in order to save our business marriage, we went to a business coach who was actually a, a clinical therapist. The first thing he did was give us both a disc assessment. Mine was a D with a strong push towards being a stronger D. So. And that was it. I there was, was no blend. By that. Just had to say. <laughs> there was no blend. Now that's not the case anymore, but I, he also gave me um, emotional IQ assessment, which I didn't even know I was taking. And it was funny. So this would be interesting because I've never said this uh, out loud, uh, at least on, on, on something that's going to be put out publicly. So at the time when it was delivered, the, the, the EIQ part of it was delivered. Uh, I'm not sure if I should say this. Well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore. The... Uh, all the legal stuff is done now. The person we were working with said to me, Matt, I need to take you through yours privately. We can't do it in a group session with the two of you. And I'm like, why? He goes, you'll see when I, when I show it to you. So I'm like, okay. So I went and had a three-hour session with him. He took me through my, my emotional IQ results, and I scored in the 99th percentile. And he's like, in... I think at the time he's like in 10,000 hours of clinical work, I've only had one other person I've ever met that scored that high on emotional IQ. And I didn't even know what it was. So he explained to me what it was. And I'm like, oh my God, that's how I've gotten through life. That actually explains a lot. It really explains how I've been successful in the worst of conditions. And he said, here's the problem. You scored very low in your management of, of uh, emotional IQ, which means you have a superpower that you don't know how to use because you don't even know you have it. And I don't know if you guys remember, there was a TV show uh, back in the 90s called The Greatest American Hero. You guys remember that TV show? I cannot I believe you brought this up. As soon as you described that, I thought of... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought of The Incredibles when they don't really yeah. have their powers. So I was like this super... I had a superpower, I did, and I would, I would fly into buildings with it. So <laughs> having the superpower with my, with my strong D, I was a very, very difficult person to deal with. And I'm not anymore, but at the time, I, I went through six years of therapy, and I, I'm a completely different person. You wouldn't even recognize me if you knew me six years ago. So anyway, he said to me, he goes, I mean, he goes make me a promise. So anyway, he did that, and then we had the whole thing, and then I understood why he couldn't deliver it the way to – we had to deliver it very um, sensitively with the partner part of it because this guy had a thing for me to begin with, and now he would be even more you – know, because people like that tend to come up as manipulative. When you're a strong D and you have an EIQ like that, you can be – taken as very manipulative. And I, so we had to be careful how we took him through this. So long story short, separately, he said to me, Matt, if you give me two years, I will turn you into somebody that could run a billion dollar company. Once you learn how to really manage your emotional IQ and use it for good and tap into, because I can read people's faces. I know what they're thinking by looking at their face. It's, it's scary. And I'm almost right almost all the time. And, and I never knew why. I could be in a conference room with 20 people and know almost what everybody's thinking and pivot in two seconds and change what I'm saying by picking up on their, on their, their faces and then change what I was saying to change how they were feeling without them saying a word. And it's very powerful. So anyway, he taught me how to use it. And now I, I, I use it for good. <laughs> but um, that was a very powerful, powerful experience. And so I learned that I was a D, which I'm not anymore. I think if I took it now, I'd be a blend of everything, actually. I think I'd be much more of a, of a, of a, I'd still be a strong D, but I'd have I, S, and C, which I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. I should take it again. As far as the emotional IQ, it's, um, my whole life has changed in the past few years because of the, the inner work that I've done. 
And that's what gives me the platform to be able to coach and share and inspire and, and, and educate other people because I've been to the, uh, the bottom and back as an adult, especially in the past two or three years, the whole other podcast. But um, yeah. I understand so much pain and suffering and how to get through it that I look at other people and I'm like, wow, let me help you. But I can't, I think it to myself, but it, you can't help everybody. But I see people and I'm like, wow, I really, let me help you. Because that's inside, inside me, I'm, I'm on this planet to actually help other people. That was why I was put here. And I know, and I've noticed since I was a little kid. So, well, it's admirable, and we really appreciate you sharing that and sort of uh, exposing yourself and opening up yourself. I love it. That is part of the authenticity that we've been talking about. So, hopefully, somebody hears it and they go get some therapy and they they get rid of their D and become more of an ISC. I'm just hoping (laughs) that, you know, when I took the disc profile, there was this little asterisk outside the circle. And it's like, you're so D. It doesn't even fit in this. You, you did? Until yours came up? Yes. Yeah, Mark did. I, you know what? I never would guess that from talking to you right now. Well, I, you did I tried, the work, right? I try to defer. Yes, exactly. I try to. You did some work. Just a little bit more of the other things. Yes. You know, one of the episodes I'm going to have is, is um, actually, I, I'm going to have this th- uh, therapist on. His name is Rick. He's my third guest. And I forget what the topic is that I, I have him for, but I, I created a topic. And I'm going to have him on. I think it's something to do with how to overcome fear and, and, and how to be successful. He's going to be one of my guests. You guys would love probably to watch him because he's, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's a whole other level. I mean, yeah. the, the guy is uh, very powerful in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I just, I want to close with this one thought because, you know, all of these assessments that we take over time, when, to your point, when you do your work and you do work from self-awareness, and inner growth, they do begin to blend, right? Those dominant qualities don't dominate you anymore. You know how to work within the range of all different capacities. So it is said, the greater the self-awareness, the greater work you do, the more you're able to integrate into all of these components. That mindfulness, when you just said that's powerful, your thoughts not dominating you, that's powerful. Yeah, the mindfulness is the, is, is the key to everything. Everything. It's the key to joy and happiness is the mindfulness. Um, that little voice that runs around in our heads nonstop, like when you're taking a shower and there's 50,000 things that come into your head. There's a book I read by somebody, I forget his name, but it was, really, it was about that actually, The Untethered Soul. Oh, it's a great book. one. Yes. Love that one. Yeah. Michael, uh, Michael Singer. Michael Singer. Singer, Singer yeah. Fantastic he talks about book. that voice in your head and you he have does. to stop the voice because it's all BS. None of it is real. It all comes from that childhood fear and, and I'm not good enough and all that crap, but um, yeah. you got to do the work. And here's the thing. Nobody does the work. I mean, we're having a conversation because we've all done some work, and but I don't know anybody that's really done any work. It's, it's the minority. Nobody does the work. And, and the work that's is scary constant. stuff. You can't, you can't say I did the work, period. It's like it's it never a, ends. Yeah, it's ongoing. Yeah. Yes. The it's lifelong ongoing. journey, the work never ends. Exactly. And it's like, how far can you take it? And how, how beautiful of a person can you ultimately be? And how much light can you shine on the world? Yes. And, and that, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so everybody feels it for me in business because this is how I run the company. Uh, that's good. Well, the I'm, work, still a D, the, I'm still a hard driving guy. Exactly. <laughs> the work is just yeah, like this episode. This episode is never ending. Just like the work that we oh, have. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm dragging it <laughs> no, off. No, I love the conversation. Yeah, whatever you want. Matt Rosenthal, his company is MindCore Technology Services, but that's almost 
a footnote to the conversation. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about the company, but not as a you know business ent- entity. What is your uh, capabilities? You know, how many people? How many of these and that? But rather, how do we lead the company? How do we build the company? And that's yeah. what the podcast is all about. And Kirsten, I know yeah. that you're anxious to continue this conversation in one of your soul tea and conversation Fridays. So I just mm-hmm. want to remind people to sign up for one of those on your website at pureintelligy.com. Listeners, come back again for our next episode. As you really think about the name of this podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories, we would really want to bring you all three of those. You've heard a lot of Matt's stories, both his own, his companies, his clients, but you've also heard about uh, leadership qualities that move beyond this kind of command and control organizational chart, my way or the highway kind of leadership. People who are attracted to the passion, who are following because they want to be led in this direction, not the other way around. And Kirsten, I think it just goes back to when we're on our IntelliKey, it does lead us in these directions, doesn't it? It does always, always. And even if you don't know what your purpose is, because that's such a lofty question, sometimes just knowing what your purpose is for the day really makes a difference because you make better choices and you make different decisions. So So listeners do join us for our next episode. For Kirsten Goldie, I'm Mark Stinson. This has been IntelliKey Leadership Stories. See you soon. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. On behalf of your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stinson, thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. If you like IntelliKey Leadership Stories, I want to tell you about another podcast I host called Unlocking Your World of Creativity. Each episode features an expert from somewhere around the globe that tells us about how they get inspired, how they organize their ideas, and how they gain the confidence and connections to get their work out into the world. From singer-songwriters to entrepreneurs, on topics like data analytics to hotel management, we talk to experts from Milan and Oslo, Buenos Aires and Los Angeles, all over the globe to bring you the best ideas and inspiring your creative thinking You can find Unlocking Your World of Creativity wherever you listen to podcasts.